this episode of the podcast definitely went a direction that I wasn't expecting. I wanted to have Jeff from Bass Myers on to talk about everything that went into building their new location, but we went on a tangent about succession planning and leadership that I really enjoyed, but it did make the interview exceptionally long, so I've broken it up into two parts. We will release the part about his new location down the road, so thanks for listening. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Today on the podcast, I have Jeff Bassmeyer, president of Bassmeyer's fireplace patio and spas in Evansville, Indiana. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Jeff. And surprise, you're on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So didn't know it was a podcast, but that makes it even better. Then you don't have to worry about it beforehand. Jeff and I actually ran into each other at the last Pool Spa Patio Expo in Las Vegas and spent some time in our booth and he showed me pictures and talked me through this build out that they've been doing for their new location, which it just... First of all, congratulations, because it looks amazing. So that's really exciting. There is no opening of a new store that's not fraught with roadblocks and things that go wrong and right. So I thought it'd be fun to have them on the podcast and talk through all of that and what that looked like. Um, Before we go into all of that, can you just give everybody sort of your personal background, how you got into the industry, how the business got started? How did this get to be where it is today? Yeah, I I truly love telling my family story. It's not mine. It's collectively all of us. My dad, John, started the business solo, and I'll get into that in a moment. And then out of necessity, my my mother joined him. And uh, over the years, of course, a fabulous team of employees and family members got us where we are today. And as it stands today, my my dad's uh, fully retired. He still sits on our board. My mom claims to work three days a week, but when she's not here, she's working from home. And my brother and I run our operation. Where the company stands today, we've got several different companies blended together. And so we're a big green egg distributor, which means if you buy a big green egg in Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, or Southern Illinois, it comes through my distribution center. Okay. And my brother is in charge of that. That's his whole universe. And we come together every other week on big issues. So we know what's going on each side of the world because we're on two different uh, facilities uh, geographically. And we have a division that sells mainly grills and fireplace products to strictly contractors. And so that operates out of the same facility that I'm on right now. And then we have the retail store that we've split into two buildings. And we're trying to create that, for lack of a better comparison, furniture row type experience where we've got one store that is dedicated to fireplaces, one store that is dedicated to patio furniture, and likewise for grills and spas. And this building that we're in today, this build-out that I showed you, we we took the grill and spa portions of our operation and moved it over. Our business comes from extremely humble beginnings. And my dad graduated from Indiana State with his master's degree in education in 19, 
1968. And the same year he started this business and married my mother. So he was busy. But he didn't say, hey, I'm going to go start a fireplace shop or or whatever it was. His specialty in his education field was auto mechanics. And there wasn't an auto mechanics job in town, a teaching auto mechanics job. And my mother, I would imagine, decided we're not moving. And so he had to do what he does best, which is figure something else out. And the only opening was in appliance repair at trade school. But he had never done appliance repair. Being the incredible entrepreneur that he is, he takes an ad out in the classified paper that says, John Bassmeyer, appliance repair with a phone number. And he'd get a phone call to fix Mrs. Jones's toaster. He'd bring the toaster home because he didn't want to work on it in front of her and show the customer that he didn't know what he was doing. But he'd bring it home, he'd figure it out, he'd fix it. And before he took it back, he would take it to school with him the next day. And his lesson for the day would be, how do you fix your toaster? And uh, to make ends meet at the time, he had a side hustle from an old gas grill company called Arcla. He was installing gas lights and gas grills for them on the side. And it didn't take him very long to figure out that the money's not in the labor, the money's in the product. So mm-hmm. he bought two gas grills. And he put them in the garage behind his mother's house, which was on a really busy street in town. And every morning, my grandmother would roll the grills out to the sidewalk, and she'd sit on the front porch, and she was his salesperson. And then, and this is the day of what we call the grill on the stick. All of them were post-mounted in the ground, natural gas hooked up. And so on his lunch breaks, his weekends, after school, he would go and install these things. And then he got busy, so he started doing with his brothers. So that was one of six. And um, one of his great stories is every time he would get a grill, he would carefully unbox it. And then he would save the box and stack it up in the garage. So whenever he would take the customer around back to look at a different model, he would say, oh, my gosh, look at all this inventory he has. He must be a big deal. If he had product, it was assembled and you were looking at it. Those boxes were there for sure. Uh, Over time, I think it got to be just too much. And... My theory on it is that mom said, John, you're to make a decision here. At some point in time, you've got to come home. He was one year away from being a tenured teacher. And he did something that most people would consider certifiably insane and quit his steady government job and leased an old fire station about three blocks away from the house he grew up in, or also known as location one, and brought in wood-burning stoves and grills and some fireplace products and virtually no staff and started to grow it from there. As time went on, he just added this and that. And then I think mom might have been getting a little concerned about our inventory levels because she still is to this day and quit her job with a major manufacturer to come in. and, And she said help with the books. I think it was the babysit. But best thing that ever happened, uh, it took both of them to get it to last. Yeah. Because my dad and I share a lot of common characteristics, which are, look at that new and shiny thing. That looks like fun. Let's buy a bunch of them and hope it sells. Sure. And when you're a startup and you buy a truckload of propane tanks because they're an incredibly good deal and that shows up to your dock and you find out that you didn't read the rest of that letter and it's a truck full of butane tanks which of course is not a fuel widely used in North America especially in 20 pound cylinders 
Okay, wait, 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 wait. Was that you or your dad that did that? <laughs> that was my father. It was my father, and that was very early in the business when every oh, dime man. mattered. And there may be some correlation with that instance, and my mom joining that company. I'm going to guess that it probably is. Um, it's cool, though, listening to you talk about your dad because I know I've said it on the podcast before, but I think maybe one of the the best traits of any entrepreneur or small business owner to have is just problem solving, right? Is that you can look at an issue, you can look at a problem and instead of being overwhelmed, you're like, oh, I can fix that or, oh, I can figure that out. I think that is such a huge part of it. And thinking it back to, there aren't any jobs in my field, so I'm going to make one. (laughs) That is his whole story on wash, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. He's done it a million times over. And I got a little too much of that in me, which when my parents transitioned ownership of the company over to my brother and I. It was done, let's call it strategically, and to prevent me from making those kind of mistakes. That's great, though, that you like know yourself enough, and obviously your family knows you well enough to say, hey, let's put up some guardrails oh, yeah. so that you will be exactly. successful in this instead of just saying good luck, because I think that's what happens a lot in family businesses, right? So whether someone is suited to the job or not, that's what they have to do because it's the family business and they're next in line. So here you go. And they're just fully unprepared. And I'm not saying you were unprepared, but it just seems like you guys went into it with your eyes open and thinking really long-term instead of, okay, I'm retiring. Good luck, son. (laughs) Yeah. And it's in the beginning, it took the transition process. It took about two years and it, it was done by experts. They My parents are very conservative, but very smart when it comes to things of, we know if we just drop this ball in their lap, that we're leaving them too much potential to fail. Yeah. And quite generously, they've built it up in such a way that when they passed it off, if I run it into the ground or my brother and I run it into the ground, that is all on us because they could never have left us in a better spot than they did whenever they passed that torch. And like I said, they're not completely gone. And they were generous up to the point where we didn't buy the company from them. They transitioned majority stock ownership over to my brother and I a couple of years ago. They they hung on to enough voting shares to to keep us in line, which they'll hang on to until we start till we get the shovels out. But before you go on, I have so many questions about that. That's fascinating. You said that they brought in experts and did everything the right way, which I think, again, you don't see super often in our business. Like it's just next guy in line. Here you go. You're starting to see more of it, but I'm so fascinated by the fact that they were, that they were like, no, we're going to do it the right way. You're our sons. We want to make sure everything's above board and on the books and done through the proper channels. Can you give any more detail on what that looked like? Cause that is that's a really interesting way of doing your succession planning. So, uh, yeah, actually, that's something that I think that the readers and listeners of this content really need to hear. I think it's a bigger problem in the hearth industry than it is in the spa industry, but oftentimes you'll find that they're compared or they're combined. A lot of we're not unique. Our product blend is not unique to us by any means. And, and it was not to say it wasn't a difficult time to be extremely transparent, probably to a fault because it's just who I am. My parents weren't able to have children and they adopted my brother James and he was an only child for six and a half years. And then mom woke up pregnant one day and 
to call it unplanned, or as my dad likes to say, we wanted one kid and we paid for him, <sighs> or I'm commonly referred to as the accident or mistake. I think it's tongue in cheek, but maybe not. <laughs> and, uh, and as the transition went on, typically the oldest child will, you know, as typically, who gets right. the business, the reins, if you will, hand it to you. And I think that my brother expected that to happen, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And our skill sets are very different, and we both possess some really strong skill sets and some really weak skill sets. And it made sense to this team to, to set it up this way, where my brother and I are both very much involved in the running and the ownership of the business. And while I hold this title, the experts decided that co-presidents is a bad idea, but their experts said you can't have two leaders. And they came in, they interviewed the team, they interviewed every key employee we had just to, to see what they thought about us as individuals. And it was decided that I'm a little bit more outgoing than he is, and he's a little bit more reserved and prefers to be in the background more, and I'm a people person. And this was the outcome of it. But then they said, but Jeff's really impulsive, and he kind of fires from the hip a little too often, so let's make sure that we keep James, my brother, in, in uh, that seat next to him, make sure that I don't do anything too rash. Yeah. It sounds like that you guys succession. balance each other like really well. It sounds like your parents balanced each other really well, where your dad was the vision guy and had all these great ideas. And then your mom was the details reality person that's okay, that's great. Now let's look at the reality of how we can actually do these things. <laughs> is that how it sounds like? Is that how you guys kind of balance? You've picked that up. Yeah, that's in the, they say opposites attract, but you've never seen that more so true in my parents than anyone else in, in the world. <laughs> They've been married since 1968. And my dad was a pilot for two years before my mom even knew he owned an airplane. Their relationship is incredible and celebrated their 50th a few years back. And it's just looking back on it, I'm like, poof. I don't know how that happened, how that worked, <laughs> but, but it worked really well. And they're a great example of not just what a married couple should live life like, but of what it really means to, to stay with someone forever. You don't see a lot of that. But back into the succession, for the nuts and bolts of it, in our case, we reached out to our accounting firm first. And they have a succession team that's located in our state capital in Indianapolis. And the department that's whole purpose in life is to plan succession. And in an industry where you see people my parents' age in their mid-70s, and in many cases still working every day with the next generation either about to lose interest and walk away because their parents won't hand things over or relinquish control, or even financially. There's so many family businesses that I look at and I go, okay, if generation one can afford to retire and generation two is semi-capable and you want to pass that on, do it early. Start the process early. Don't do it fast. Don't start planning your transition the year you're ready to retire. It took us two years just to get through the process. Yeah. And we should have started it a decade before we did. We should have known what we were going to do and then spent five years making sure that was the right move. It worked out fine for us, but yeah. it's never too late to start. But if you can start earlier, 
highly recommend it. And yeah. uh, it wasn't inexpensive, but it was certainly well worth it. So now I've got a 21-page document labeled succession plan. And within that, it very much guidelines out who can do what, when, how much I can spend without going to the board, what percentage of a vote must take place at certain thresholds. I can't, for example, one of the really cool lines in it is, I can't bring on a new product that requires an investment in inventory of more than $25,000 without board approval. Yeah. And because everybody's succession plan is going to be different. The next person, the next company, their next generation might be so conservative. That's not even necessary, but by gosh, it's necessary with me because you put me in a trade show and the first thing I'm doing is working, I put that. And for years, when we were stuck in our old showroom of about 10, 11,000 square feet, the answer yeah. was, we just don't have room for it. And then we built 13,000 more square feet, and I went full the city foot. But it filled up quickly. I'm right back to where we're going to put it. And so that succession process is important in the fact that it gives clarity, okay? Yeah. The yeah. gray area is where you're going to kill your business and your family. And there, there were rough times. In this. There, were, there, were, there were holidays that, quite frankly, didn't get celebrated the way they should have because it got heated. But yeah. we all stuck through it. We came out the other side. And now there is a perpetual plan in place to ensure the continuous operation of the company for generations to come if they should so choose to join in. Yeah. And I really... I'm very thankful that they didn't leave it. Just here you guys go with yours, figure it out. They so, sped it up for us. Yeah. And also too, with going through the whole process and having everything written out and all of those things decided, it's, it gives you so much more freedom. I know it sounds like they they, they kind of gave you with us a roadmap, but it also gives you a lot of freedom to just make the decisions that you're allowed to make. And then when you get to that point, it's okay, now I need to go to the board. And it gives them like just enough control that they're not panicking or freaking out about stuff, but they're not in your hair constantly about every single decision. Because I think that's what happens a lot too, where they may still be, I don't know. <laughs> they may still be all up in your, all up in your business. But at least you've got that laid out so clearly that everyone knows their role, everyone knows their job, and that's hard enough with your employees, much alone in the context of a family business where it's who's in charge of what, what day. That's just so smart. I hope some people are taking notes because it sounds like, like you said, the best thing to keep the business going and your family going. Yeah, and I think that there's some things that, that have happened since the transition officially happened that's worth noting. And when you're gifted an opportunity, or even if you do have to buy out your parents at a good price, you have to be extremely respectful of what you're being handed. Yeah. And first generation, I think, has the hardest time with all of this because their company is their baby. It is their child that never stops growing. It never grows up. It never moves out. They're always worried about it. And to hand their baby to somebody else isn't easy for them. And we did spend the first year or two after that transition where my mom, who had ran the company pretty much for the last 
decade prior to that, because dad had decided he was retiring, I think, and just did it. And mom said, I'm not ready. And so she just stayed on and dad went and did what dad does. And I'm not even, we, there's not enough hours in the day for that. But uh, well, I'll give you a real quick snapshot. I, he's hanging a billboard he had bought at 70 plus years old or remodeling some mm. house somewhere. Last year, he wrecked his Enduro by doing, I don't know how fast, and rode it out through a ditch until he hit a culvert and walked away with some scratches. All right, the man's okay. crazy. And I said, Dad, yeah. would you just please retire? And his response to me was, what do you want me to do, play shuffleboard? And I was like, yeah, I do. But now that I think about it, that's not going to happen. Mom is still here in a very active role. And it took a long time for the staff to accept the transition. Sorry. and. It took, it honestly took a long time for her to accept the transition. And there's been more than one very difficult conversation. But if I have a weaknesses, a weak, one of my strongest weaknesses is mm. I don't like confrontation. But you can't be, as Dave Ramsey says, a spineless leader. That doesn't work. And I don't have a choice. But that's also like a muscle, right? The more you use it, the better you are at it, the stronger yeah. you get. And yeah. so eventually I had to sit down with her and I said, Mom, I said, you made the decision to hand the reins of this over to us. You've got to let us lead it. And I said, if, if you don't agree with the decision I've made, we need to talk about it, but you can't undo it. And, and that was hard for me. It was hard for her. But if I didn't have the conversation, she would be running the business as long as she was here. And I'll say it a thousand times, I would have never been able to build this. My brother and I would not have been able to build this from the bootstraps that they did. I don't have that in me, but as they say, what got you here or won't get you there is very true. The whole digital everything is something they're still very apprehensive of. And obviously yeah. we live in a world now where you can't not be in a digital space. Your online world has got to be as good as your brick and mortar world. And that's a lot of money to do that, to build a showroom that nobody can walk into that doesn't exist anywhere but in the air that cost practically as much as a showroom over time is hard to swallow for me. And I'll be 39 in days. Not that I'm counting or anything. Yeah. Happy birthday. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. Almost to Christmas. Maybe it's like 27. But at any rate, I felt like having that discussion, getting that out of the way, clearing the air, then and I was very open with everyone. Okay, you put me in the leadership role. Here's my plan. If we're not going to continue to hustle and grow and grab the next new product and stay on top of the industry trends, we're going to die. Because I promise you there is somebody working a lot harder than I am from a much lower seat aiming for mine. And your competition will bulldoze you over if you get complacent. Yeah. And that can't be done when you don't allow your leadership staff to lead. And my mother was very good at making sure she, she led everything. And she did a fantastic job. Yeah. But you hit a glass ceiling pretty fast there and become this massive bottleneck. And so I said, we've got this six or eight people and we've given them titles of managers, but we don't let them manage anything. I said, so the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to teach them to manage. And much to, to their respect, some of these managers have been here since they were my boss at one point in time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now I have to teach them it's, it, 
Here's your parameters on what you can do as a manager. Here's your guardrails. Make your own decisions inside these guardrails. Right. And if I don't like the decision you make, I'm not going to call you to the carpet. I'm not going to reverse your decision, but we're going to talk about it afterwards and say, next time this comes up, let's do it this way. And that's my biggest struggle because growth requires some level of a pyramid leadership. And we're working on that. I have the right people. I have, I can say without a doubt that I have the best team sitting here today than we've ever had. And in a COVID world, that's really saying something. There's, there's 48 employees on the payroll today. And there's not one single one of them that I'm not glad that they're here. And that sounds like a no-brainer, but I'm probably not the only person that put up with someone they didn't like for a really long time just because they could fill the seat and do the job. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, who's on your workforce that's toxic? And those are the people that need to go. And you will change the attitude of your company because if you think they're toxic, you're right. Everyone else notices it. They all wonder why you're tolerating it. And you'll be more respected and you'll have a better place to work. Even if that person is the most key person on your staff and you have no idea how to do their job and losing them is going to be a disaster, don't take six years to do it. Yeah. And oh man, that's coming from experience. It is so true. And even if you haven't been in that position as a business owner, guaranteed you've been in that position as an employee at some point, right? Where you're just like, man, I got to go to work and deal with that person today. And it's just, it just weighs on you. And you're just like, if I could just go and do my job and not have to deal with this person, life would be great. (laughs) And and I walked into my walked into that desk the next day and somebody had printed out a Disney sign that said happiest place on earth and it pinned it to the bulletin board behind my desk. And I was like, that's hilarious. And I think that's the cool thing too, right? Like in those situations, I think when your employees, uh, see you doing the right thing, they'll back you up. Like they've got your back. It feels so impossible. And then you look around and realize you've got all of these teammates who are ready to take up the slack and help you out wherever they can. I've mentioned before that, that my brother and I operate off of different sites. People from that site showed up here that had done similar jobs in the past mm-hmm. to help this, you know, to help my new person out and me out. And nothing about it was easy. And I wouldn't change a minute of it for the world. The only thing I would change is I've done it six years sooner. <laughs> but, and, and that's important. They, we hire fast and we fire slow and that's to our own detriment. And we're going to keep Everyone doing it. says to do it the opposite and it's so hard. Yep. yep. But that was a growth experience for me as a leader. And I knew it was going to be a learning experience one way or the other, but it was a growth experience from the perspective of there's no one here so important that you should put up with them. Including yourself, (laughs) including you, the owner, the boss, the president. And and I am really fortunate that the vast majority of my key staff is not afraid to come and say, you're being a butthead or like the idea that you have, but we're doing too many things right now. And we need to pause that idea until we can catch up on some other stuff, making sure that they're comfortable enough have that conversation. And if your staff's not like that, you have to give it to them. You have to walk them in and say, okay, what made you want to quit last week? And they'll look at you like, 
who told you that? Or what do you mean? Like, this is written all over your face. (laughs) I'm giving you an opportunity to tell me what sucks about your job. And if what sucks about your job is me, I'm giving you that opportunity too. That's fine. Let's talk. Let's have an open conversation, air it out. Cause I have been historically horrible about just letting it fester and sit and grow. And yeah. Cause you don't like confrontation. Right. I'm with you. If I can avoid a confrontational situation, I will do everything I can to avoid it. And then it gets to a point where it's, you have to deal with this. You have to deal with it. You're the one in charge. You have to take care of it. Even though it's the last thing you want to do. And it goes against every, every bit of your personality. (laughs) And to the extent that I can make a gut decision reaction to something that needs to be addressed, I have found as painful as it is to address it the moment it's a problem, provided it doesn't need verification and research, that's the best time to do it. Because it sucks then, but it sucks a whole lot more in six weeks. Absolutely right. uh, You know, just jumping right on. I see somebody operating a piece of equipment unsafely. Instead of going through the chain of command and blah, 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 it's right there. Hey, you're going to get yourself or somebody hurt. This isn't how we do that. It's 80% being amongst your people and 20% burying yourself behind your desk. And if you can't figure out how to get to that spot, you're not going to know what's going on in your organization. If you've got six crews in the field doing things and they don't anticipate that you're going to pop in from time to time, you're going to get different results out of them. If they are looking over their shoulder for you, they're going to perform well. And I've got a team that I don't need to look over their shoulder. I still do it. Yeah. Because what happens if I don't? Maybe nothing. I don't know. But if they see you do it once, they're going to change their behavior because you're there. If they see you there all the time, they're going to change their behavior because they never know when you're going to show up. Mm-hmm. And it has taken me way too long. And I've had to read way too many books and listen to way too many podcasts to figure this out. I am not yeah. that smart of a person. but If you have the willingness, the drive, the energy to never stop learning your job, you can be good enough at it and then acknowledge where you suck and hire somebody to do that part of your job. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. And the stress level in changing that thought process has changed everything about my world. I don't come home sit down on the couch and tell the kids I'm too tired every night. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it was every day. Now it's hit and miss. It's funny that you bring all of this up because I feel like these are things that I've been thinking through a lot in my own life and business recently. Maybe you're just saying these things just for me, which is fine. <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't imagine that I sit alone in this world of, of chaos. That, and the bad news is I created that chaos. The good news is I can fix that chaos. And having the energy and ambition to do it respectfully and with kindness. And I actually had one of my very long-term employees. He's my lead service technician. He's fabulous. He's worked here since he's 13 years old. I think he's 47 or 48. His dad works here. We have a lot of that around here. But he was driving to a job site somewhere an hour away. We're in a unique area. We service about a 90-mile radius. And he called me up. and He got a minute. I'm like, yeah, you called me at a good time. He goes, your dad was a little more cold-hearted than you, and you need a little bit of that in you. And I, I'm like, explain more. And, and you know, he got into 
Sometimes you just got to go drop the hammer. And he's right. But yeah. Yeah. he was comfortable enough to say that and to know that there's absolutely nothing negative that's going to come from that. That's the best thing he could have done. Let's point out, hey, I worked for your dad for a long time. And the way he fixed the problem you're dealing with was this way. And you're doing it this way. And it worked when he did it. And what you're doing is not working. Yeah. And to that point, first generation owners or anybody about the transition, document every process. Document everything you do. I was cleaning out a storage room. I found two, three ring binders that the lids won't even shut on them. They're Pac-Man open. And within those are my dad's operating procedures that some are in his own hand. Some are typed by various secretaries. It's a mess. But within there is every problem he ever dealt with, how he dealt with it. And thank God he's still with me today to even ask questions. But I've literally got his playbook. And all I have to do is go through, adjust it for the times, and keep going. Because while what got us here won't get us there, like I said before, there are no new problems. We just repackaged them. My biggest screw-up, my biggest screw-up, that has a slogan, and it is literally carved in stone and sunk in concrete in our parking lot. It's Across the top, it is success or failure. And across the bottom, it is results or excuses. So success sure. and results is on the left side of the stone. Failure and excuses is on the right. And he would tell everybody, stay on the left side of the stone. Or he would remind them that they were on the right side of the stone. The man was so bad, he took an old paddle wheel and called it an excuse wheel. And he took these little stickies, and every time he heard a new excuse, he would write it and put it on the wheel. And when someone would come to his office, he would say, do you want to make up a new one or spend for an old one? I've still got the wheel. But there is so much that you need to glean from your predecessors while you can. Yeah. yeah. Whether you run with it or you don't, get the effort. Decide if it's right. Figure out why they did it that way. If you don't agree with it, ask them why they did it that way. Maybe mm-hmm. you just don't understand it. Because the one thing the second generation, third generation will never, ever have is the drive, the ambition, and the velocity to, to run as hard as the first generation did. Because the first generation was literally running for their lives. Yeah. And starting something from scratch versus keeping something going is they're not the same things. You may face unique challenges, pandemics, whatever it may be, but yeah, there's, there's a big difference between starting from scratch versus let's keep this thing alive. <laughs> yeah. And so to, to the next generation, if you're on vacation more than you're at your office, you're going to lose your business. I don't care how good your management team is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means supports that lifestyle that allows you to be gone all the time. That's fantastic. Good for you. Uh, show up to work. And if you don't want to show up to work, put somebody else in charge and tell them you're retired and you're a, a silent owner at this point. Because right. the staff needs to see you there. And I take more vacations than I probably should. I definitely take more vacation than my parents think I should, but that's natural. Everyone assume that. But if I'm gone more than 30 days in a year on a non-business related incident, that would be extremely unique. So my combined time off is less than 30 working days in a year. So that's a month when you put it all together. That yeah. is a lot. But it's a, it's a healthy enough balance. My children are 8 and 11. I'm only going to have them for so long. Now, when they're grown and out of the house, 
I'd be here more probably. Maybe. Right now we have that. <laughs> right now we have that. Okay, they got to be in three places at the same time. There's right. two of us. How are we yeah. going to do this? And I don't want to miss that. My dad yeah. missed that, and I don't fault him for it. I don't fault my mom for it. They were building this company, and it required all of their attention. And I was really fortunate growing up. My mom's mom, my grandmother, was there for us, and she took a lot of those roles. Now, don't get me wrong. If there was a program, a play, or something, they made every effort to possibly be there. But they were gone a lot, and yeah. it wasn't until I, I had my own kids that I really understood why. I think I did hold some level of something against them for that for a long time. But now realizing that there was a reason. I had to apologize to my wife after we got married because I said, I'll never be my parents. And we've been married 13 years. And several years ago, I said, honey, I said, how I be? But I didn't know I was. (laughs) Our life isn't going to be as different as I had planned. And I need to know if you're still on board. (laughs) She said, you think I hadn't already figured that out? (laughs) It's been a learning curve. It's been a process. It's been a ride. But the key to all of the internal stuff is just the right people. And at some point, you've got the right people and you put them in the wrong seat on the bus. I had a sales assistant for years who had a graphic design degree. What the heck am I doing here? Talk about a waste of talent. Yeah. And we'll get into that when we get a little bit further down the line. But the key to being a good leader, to finding the right people, never, ever stop learning. And if you're reading this or you're listening to this, you're already that person. But you can't pick up enough. It's the people that I went to college, I got my master's, I got my whatever, and you never pick up another book again. I don't have a lot of use for you. Um, When I interview key people, one of my questions is, what's the last thing you read? And if I have to think about it, or I haven't read a book in 10 years, I don't need that person because they're not growing. And they're happy with stagnating in life. And if you're, if you're working for some leader who is happy being stagnant, you better find some place that's not because stagnation is going to get you ran over. And the thing that sucks about most is you've got to keep running. And if you're not willing to do that, then get out before you're kicked out. And yeah. that could be by your bank account. That could be by your other team. But yeah. you've got to be hungry and humble, even if you're not hungry. Huh? Yeah, that's something that I, it's I, like I I've realized you got to keep running. There's just nothing is ever finished. We're gonna work on this. We're gonna get this done. You get it done, and sure, you you crossed off that goal. But there's but that just creates another thing, right? Yeah, and then you got it, then it, you're it, like, it okay, well, we fixed that. Now let's improve this, or this improved that, which showed me how this wasn't working. And so there's just this continuous on and on. And you're right. You have to get you have to be energized by that. Otherwise you're going to burn out. Like you have to like that continuous improvement and continually learning and continually trying new things and pushing the envelope because otherwise, yeah, you're going to flame out real fast. You'll be behind the times. It's so amazing how fast things change. Like even in, if you're a brick and mortar store and you've been around any length of time, I'm not telling you anything that you didn't experience. And I didn't experience a lot of this because much of it happened before my time. But uh, at one point in time, we sold satellite dishes. And I don't mean like the little one you got in your house now. I mean yeah. like 14-footer that you had to go out there and turn. 
Oh yeah, you know, that was an in that was a, a big revenue stream for us before my time. But it was here's a new opportunity. It's a little out of our wheelhouse, but things are a little slow right now, so we need to find something new to do. And I think that if you fail to do that, fail to recognize that this category or this product is in a slump or dying, and you're out looking for something else to fix that, you've got to have a huge problem. Yeah. We all know that the hot tub industry, since the recession, had never really rebounded until we got to the coke. And, but you take a category like the pool and spa industry, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be there. Yep. But go up and down, absolutely. But what that means is you've got to respond to that. Okay, hot tubs aren't selling like they were, but they've got just as much floor space as they've ever had. So maybe we need to display a little less and bring in something that can sell mm -hmm. until we get back on the other side of the hump. If you're not calculating your profit per square foot, at least annually, I can promise you, you've got 25% of your square footage you're losing money on. Mm -hmm. not making money on it. You're losing money on it. And if you've got a warehouse full of products that you can't sell, you need to write that stuff off because you've already lost the money. You just haven't admitted to it. And uh, that's, that, those are the things that will just absolutely kill you. Yeah. And things I weren't prepared for when I did take on this role. I didn't grasp all of that. But then it started to make sense to me. I'm like, wait a second. With that, that hot tub takes up. Uh, a 10 by 10 square and this grill over here takes up about a third of that space but i'm making 15 percent on that grill why am i selling that grill yeah and then so i had to adjust and the manufacturers are killing us as well not in our industry at least not my manufacturers but take some of the grill market whenever they throw a Black Friday sale up and buy it online for less than they sold it to me for. I can't operate that way. They've got a giant brand name, a giant following. And so I'll dedicate a portion of my store to that product to get that consumer to walk into my door because I sell that product in hopes that they walk out with enough other stuff to make it make sense. But my theory is they would have walked in the door if I didn't have it. Sure. And that I call it brand boring, but that's what some of that stuff is. Yeah. And I don't have a regret about any of it. The Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.